is Sunday School for Misfits, hosted by me, Dr. Selena Stone, a podcast where we, the Misfits, explore the good, the bad, and the questionable of our church experiences and the Christian beliefs and perspectives that we were taught. Welcome and thank you for listening. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode, a bonus episode of Sunday School for Misfits for the end of the season. And I thought it would be good to also record a couple of episodes at the back end of Lent as we're coming towards Holy Week and Easter and just to, I guess, take some time for those who will find it useful to to reflect on this, on this time. And I'm really, I, I have to say, I'm really happy to get to do this kind of thing in this particular context because I get to do talks all the time in like St Paul's Cathedral or... I say all the time, like I'm there every week, but you know, like I get invited to do talks for churches and in these kinds of like important places. And there's like a certain kinds of people who go to those kinds of events. But actually this kind of reflection, I think is important for all of us because this, I think is where the Christian story really connects in with our everyday lives. And it shouldn't just be reserved for people who pay to go to events or who can afford to do a degree in theology or want to do a degree in theology this kind of reflection and knowledge should be available to all of us. And this is why I do the podcast. It's because I really believe in sharing knowledge and sharing the gifts that we have with each other and not making it something that you only get to have if you are from a certain kind of place. And so this episode is coming out on Palm Sunday, which is actually my birthday. So um, happy birthday to me. Uh, I'm going to be at this point currently waking up in some super bougie hotel. I think I just booked myself into the nicest place I could find in Birmingham because I was like, I want to wake up somewhere bougie and have someone else make my breakfast and not have to be thinking about what I'm going to do in the morning. It's going to be a good day, but it's also Palm Sunday and that is the main thing that's important for this day. (laughs) And I don't know whether you did anything for Lent. You might have just not bothered actually and just thought I'm just going to go through it as normal and you, you might have had a little bit of reflection, but... Palm Sunday is, I think, really good because it pulls us back into the story. It's like a concrete day where we're like, okay, so let me go back to this Easter story then and see what's going on. And I don't know whether, I think for me, whenever I think of Palm Sunday, I always remember I had a children's book when I was little with white Jesus. He had dark hair at least, so that was something. But he was very white and he was on a, I think he was, he was going into Jerusalem on a donkey and all the people who also were quite white, ironically, for a, a story set in the Middle East. Um, and it's interesting because for like all the way through the Gospels, Jesus has been avoiding going. Like he's like, I'm not going to go yet because I know what's going to happen when I go. And so I'm just going to wait a little bit. And my, hour, my time hasn't come yet. I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. But he comes to this point of being like, you know what, we're going to go do this then. And so they arrive in Jerusalem and they're looking and as he gets there, and Jesus Jesus has kind of said to them, you know, when I go there, there's going to be a donkey tied up. Just go get it. And if somebody asks what you're doing with my donkey, just be like, yeah, God needs it, you know. So this is the image that we always have of this day. is Jesus on a donkey riding into Jerusalem. And it, be- and it becomes the kind of countdown to his crucifixion. And so it's a really interesting week ahead, at least in the churches that are marking Holy Week. I feel like in Pentecostal churches, it's just like... We don't really do nothing till Good Friday, which for me means we're missing out on all the drama of the week because actually the the drama kicks off with Palm Sunday and Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the crowds being like, yay, they're singing their songs, they're they're like, yay, Jesus is here at last. 
everyone's jamming, someone's doing a barbecue, that it's all blessed, everyone's happy, they're happy to see him. And whenever I think about this day in relation to how we know the story goes, it's just so peak. It's peak because it's like, oh, they're cheering him on. They're like, yay, we believe in you. We think you're amazing. The disciples are getting patted on the back. Everything's feeling best, you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, maybe it's going to be all right. Do you know what I mean? And I imagine the disciples thinking, you know what? Jesus was really anxious that something was going to go wrong. Maybe it's all going to be fine. Maybe everybody gets it, maybe it's all going to be fine, and we're just going to come into Jerusalem now, get two, two people together, and just start, just start the thing that we want, you know, we're going to overthrow the Romans, do what we're doing, and establish this new way of being, like this new kingdom, we're going to just do that, Jesus is going to be the king, because at the time, okay, it's worth saying, lots of people are claiming to, the, to be the Messiah, you have lots of people, like, being like, you know what, you know, I'm the Messiah, Lots of people are coming up saying they're, they're going to lead the people of Israel to freedom. So they're, they're probably thinking, you know what, this guy actually really must be the one because he has all these signs of healing and miracles and everything he says comes to pass. So you know what, people are celebrating him. So maybe he really is the Messiah, then maybe he really is the one. And it, and this is interesting, I think, for us on a on a personal spiritual level because it really speaks to me a lot about how fickle people are, like, the reality of this is, like, the crowd are cheering Jesus, Lit not even seven days before they're gonna be, like, kill the man, do you know what I mean, and it's like, what happens that makes them, that makes them go from, we love this guy, to we want him dead, and interestingly, Jesus understands people are fickle, there's a really interesting scripture where Jesus is around the crowds doing miracles, and it says that the crowds are following Jesus because he was doing lots of cool stuff. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in the hearts of people. When I tell you that that passage has given me some food for thought, right? Because we really, like, imagine Jesus to be just naively going around loving everyone regardless. Then, oops, he ends up dead. Jesus knew what people were like. Is that he's, he's around lots of people. He understands that they're here because he's doing cool things. He's here, they're here because he's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's saying controversial things that they're like, yeah, man, I get that. I believe that. I get that. They love him for that. But Jesus knows what's in their hearts. He can see through all the, all the kind of the crowds running around him. And it doesn't mean that he's mean to them, you know, because when he's feeding the 5,000, he's feeding people who are like that. He's feeding people who he knows are here because of what they're getting from him. But, they, but he can't trust himself to them. He knows that they're not, they're not about it, really. And we see the culmination of this. We see this all coming together in this week because they're literally cheering the man on, you know laying down their coats and everything for him to walk on before, and a week later, less than a week later, they want him dead. And I think the thing we shouldn't take from this, I think, is don't trust people. Like, I think that's not what we should take from this. Because as I say, Jesus doesn't allow his awareness of people's fickleness to prevent him from loving them. He's still kind, he's still gentle, he still sees to their needs. He's still, because he wants to, he's still going to be him, do you know what I mean? He's still going to be him, even if they are going to be unfaithful, inconsistent, Jesus is still going to be Jesus. And so the lesson from this isn't, I think, that we now start to re reflect how people are with us. If somebody's bad mind with us, we're going to be bad mind with them. Or we're kind of in relationship with people, but we're not really present because, you know, I can't entrust myself to these people. I don't think that's what the moral of the story is. But I think it is a question of, ultimately, we have to entrust ourselves to God. And I say this because, you know, this happens even in church circles, that you're working with people, you're sitting in church by people every week, you know, 
and certain will happen and these people love you until you say something that they don't like. They'll love you until you express yourself in a way they don't like. They'll love you until you tell the truth to them about who you are and then all of a sudden their love ends. All of a sudden they don't want to talk to you no more. All of a sudden they only have negative things to say. All of a sudden they lost your number, do you know what I mean? And it's like, there's something in it about how we can be as human beings, that we can be fickle. Our love can be very mediocre. And I think Jesus knows this about us. And he doesn't take it personally because, as I say, he still finds a way to love despite that. But he's not taken by surprise. And so when I think about this in relation to Holy Week, I think a lot about how courageous it is to love. And this is what I take from this, this, this story. is like Jesus is courageous to love despite what he knows is going to happen, right? Like we see this all the way through this week is that Jesus knows that people are going to start to move mad this week and it doesn't stop him from being present to them. It doesn't stop him from opening his arms to them in a way that's quite crazy. Like when we think about it, especially in a time when well, everyone's talking about boundaries all the time, everyone's talking about boundaries, everyone's talking about self-care, everyone's talking about you know, they don't deserve your space, they don't deserve to be in your space. I've said these things, I've talked about friendships and the difficulty of betrayal and disappointment and sadness in friendships. And this is a this week is a challenge to me because it says in all of my in all of my determination to preserve myself from harm, am I actually removing myself from the possibility of genuine relationship? If I actually keep push people away if they hurt my feelings Am I practicing the kind of depth of love that God has shown to me? And this week is a challenge for that because we see Jesus come face to face with some pretty shady people and he's and he and he people who he's loved even though he knows he can't trust them. It's a big thing, you know, and it's difficult. How do you and, and love for me in this sense is about extending yourself for the sake of someone else's well-being? Like how do you care for someone else's well-being even when you know you can't trust them? even when you know they're incapable of reciprocating that to you like it's major but this is the love that has been shown to us and so it's the love that we're called to show to others and I don't know what to do with that it's hard work it's hard to love but holy week so holy week for those who don't know is, is what how we describe the week running up to from Palm Sunday through to Easter Sunday. And so this is the last week of Jesus' life. I mean, kind of. <laughs> and and what we find, as we go through this week, the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, we come up to, to Thursday, which I have, again, these are things I've learned through, from my Anglican friends. Thursday is called Maundy Thursday in, in Holy Week. And Maundy Thursday is, is effectively a day of remembering the Last Supper. Because obviously, I don't know if you read it in your church, but we used to always read that scripture from 1 Corinthians. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends eating dinner, etc, etc. And that night on which he was betrayed is a Thursday, right? Because on the Friday he gets crucified. But one of the things I've really liked doing is going to Monday, Thursday services. It revolves around the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane. And these two moments that we read about, which, which come before the guards coming, taking Jesus and taking him to be crucified. But Monday Thursday has become one of my really, one of the services I really enjoy because it gives me the space to just sit with all of this stuff around 
Jesus's last moments. And again, reminds me like of the courage of, of Jesus's love again. Like the last supper that he has with his friends, he sits there, they find the space, they gather together, someone's going to betray him and they all eat food. They're in this space and he's he knows someone's going to betray him. He knows these are some of the last moments he's going to have with his friends. And I, and, I, and I sometimes I think, I sit and I wonder how tense was he, how stressed was he on that last day? Like, was he, did he even sleep the night before when he knew something was going to happen now? And they're eating food and they're having their last dinner and he's, and he's giving them this meal of like this bread to represent his body that's going to be broken and his blood that's going to be shed. And they're eating and they're drinking and they're speaking and then they start to be like, I wonder who, what's going to happen and what's going to happen. And and I just I just imagine the scene and I think, wow, what a moment for Jesus to be sat there with his friends thinking, wow, it's, it's almost, the time's almost coming. And I, and I imagine him just making it through the dinner, just about making it through. And Judas disappears. And then he takes his friends to go into the garden to pray. And I think it's a warm night and they go outside and they're kind of chatting. And then he's just so stressed and he's tense and he goes in the garden to pray. And he calls his, his friends and he's like, just come with me, man, because I need to just go and pray and just process this stuff. And he goes into the garden and they fall asleep. And he's stressed and they're sleeping and he's like, can't you not just stay? Like, what are you not doing? And then he wakes them up and then they're like, okay, man, we're going to pray, man, we're going to pray. And then they start, he starts praying again and then he turns around and they fall, and they fall asleep. And he's like, even the last moment, I can't depend on you, that man. Like, just, just, <laughs> can you not just come free for me once? Like, of all the times, I haven't asked you for much. I mean, I've been patient with you. I've walked with you. All I'm asking you is for one thing, you know. For one thing in my last moment to just stay awake and pray with me. And you like, they're not making it. And again, there isn't the this, this sense of, of resentment. I don't get when I read the text. I don't get the feeling of anger and resentment. I just, I get disappointment. I get, man, like you like, couldn't just stay awake for one hour and pray with me, man. And I wonder how did they sleep you know, with all this going on? Didn't they get how serious it was? Did they think it was just being dramatic? Did they think, oh, it's not, of course it's not going to, no one's going to betray Jesus. Like, it's going to be cool. Like, he's, we've seen him raise the dead and, and we've seen him heal all these people. Like, of course it's going to be fine. We've seen him outsmart the Pharisees like enough times before. He's just been dramatic, man. I'm going to go sleep. Like, were they thinking that it wasn't that big a deal? Meanwhile, he's praying, crying anxious he's wrestling with himself in the garden on his own saying I don't want to do this if there's any way we can get around this God then now is the time can we please skip this bit somehow is there a way we can do this without having to do this and in the end he's like you know what at the end of the day it's God's will that needs to be done one of the most challenging pieces of dialogue in the bible for me and I think about this especially with all the things that I've said. You know I've wrestled with these things, right? Like, what kind of God asks his son to die on the cross? What kind of, like, like these ideas we have about what the crucifixion is and what's going on here. And I wrestle with all of this still. But this, this conversation, this reflection from Jesus, probably, like, is the, the point at which we really see for real that Jesus is fully human. Like, however we understand the, the doctrine that God is, like, in flesh in Jesus, it's not straightforward at all. And we see it right now, right? Because if God is, if Jesus is God, then who's he talking to? 
Is he talking to himself? Is he talking to someone else? How can Jesus' will and God's will not be the same anyway? Like, why does he even need to say, not my will, if him and God are one? Like, these are the kinds of questions that theologians have wrestled with and cannot resolve because it's a mystery we cannot get our heads around. Even those of us who spend all of our time reading biblical languages, I don't do that personally, but some people do, reading all the, the deepest thoughts about this by Christian thinkers over the centuries, we still can't get our head around. What? How does this work? That somehow God is fully present in Jesus and also distinct. So much so that Jesus can sit in a garden and be God crying in a garden, talking to God, saying, I don't want to do this, but, but it's what you want that matters. It's a great mystery. The challenging thing about this conversation between Jesus and God is that a lot of us, we face so many moments of Gethsemane in our lives. And so many moments of, of feeling abandoned and feeling lost and feeling as if we are alone and no one can even stay awake long enough to support us. Or that we are present in a space with God and we're begging God for whatever other option there is. Like whatever alternative option there is, let it be that and not this. And and we, we cry out to God in those times because we're desperate. Because we can see what's ahead, we can see what's coming down the road, or we can see what we're facing in our day-to-day -day lives, and we're so desperate for God to say, okay, let's not do this then. And the thing that, that just is, is just, oh, what is even the word to say? The thing that's so hard about this is that God doesn't let Jesus have a way out. God doesn't say, okay, Jesus, cool then, let's do something else. God doesn't give him another option, another choice and say, you know what, let's skip this bit then and let's find another way. Let's do something different. Let's let's just let's just skip you, let's just pull you out and to heaven and then whatever in it. Like God doesn't say, sure, let's find another option. So God just listens there silently. We don't even hear God reply. And it's Jesus who who comes around to eventually say, Ultimately, I want the will of God to be done, not my will. And it's difficult for us to take that on board. It's difficult because sometimes what we want is, is quite basic and important. And sometimes we still don't get to have it. And not necessarily because God is actively holding it back from us, but just because it isn't meant to be. I think for some reason in our lives, we just have to walk through it. We just have to go through the unexplained and the sometimes the horrendous and sometimes the thing that we can't get our heads around and we still go through it. And I don't always know that there is a, a huge bigger purpose. This is also a unique situation. So I think we also have to be careful not to try to draw too much out of it because it's a unique situation. Like we're not, we're not, we don't need to be another Jesus, another martyr, another person hanging on a cross to save the world from sin and death. That's not what's happening in our personal lives. Like I'm not another, I'm not another Jesus. But I do wonder whether for some of us, a helpful way of framing the kinds of things that we're having to deal with in our lives might be through this conversation. And not for everybody, because for some of us, as I've said in the episode on suffering, we're choosing things that we don't have to endure ourselves or where we are experiencing suffering put upon us by others. That's not what I'm speaking about here. I'm talking about when you sit in the quietness with yourself and with God and you hold up those things that you'd rather not have to endure 
and there's no response, that maybe this is the moment where we actually feel more close to Jesus than any other time. Maybe in the Garden of Gethsemane, we feel as if, oh, you really sat along, you really know what this is like, God. You really know what this is like to to be in a place of not willing, of not being willing. You are you know what it's like to go through the to be in a place of not wanting to endure anymore. You know what it's like to not want to have to go through something. And even that alone is it might be enough to make us feel less alone and less afraid that we're not talking to a God who doesn't understand what we're dealing with. So this is Monday Thursday and we know that after the moment of prayer Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. I don't know if there's if there's a clearer picture of betrayal than this that you would use a kiss to betray your friend. Something that's supposed to represent friendship and kindness and affection but you twist it to mean the opposite. Judas, Judas, Judas. He doesn't, of course, endure the pain of his decisions long. He takes his own life not long after this. Maybe he realised when it was too late that he'd made a mistake. Maybe he'd realised they weren't just going to talk to him, they were actually going to kill him. Maybe he realised, actually, I've misunderstood who Jesus was. And Monday, Thursday turns to Good Friday. And we have Jesus held before the same crowd who, not a week before, were cheering him on. And in the end, their decision is that they want Jesus to be killed and a revolutionary Barabbas to be spared. And this is an interesting point because, as I have said before, in my thinking about Jesus' death, I've moved past thinking of this as this story of my individual belief in what Jesus did on Good Friday, to think about what his murder tells us about how we often can be as people. Jesus' instincts to not trust the crowd play out and he's now held before them, innocent, but they're revved up by the religious leaders who think Jesus is a troublemaker and he has to die. And it's so strange to imagine that, though often when we think about faith and our lives, that we're often encouraged to think the threat's going to come from outside. But actually for Jesus, it was the opposite. It was his own people who encouraged the crowd to turn against him. And for some of the people in the crowd, they were angry with Jesus because they were disappointed. They wanted God to overpower Rome and establish Israel's own nation again. They wanted somebody who was a revolutionary, not, not somebody who's going to give them parables and talk about this kingdom of God, but somebody who was going to actually burn things down. That's what they wanted. And I can get it. Like, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from. Jesus comes from people who've suffered immensely. They've been forcibly removed from their own land. They've been, there were people who've, who've constantly migrated in pursuit of this land that God had promised them. There were people who whose history involves stories of enslavement. There are people who've endured and suffered so much and they're not interested in some God who's going to just 
leave things as they are. They want change and they want change now. And Jesus is a disappointment to them. Because as much as he said so many things that encourage a different way of being that jars with the political order of the day, he's not encouraging them to violently overthrow the Romans. He's not encouraging them to take up arms and, and swords and kill and use violence to, to, to get what they want in the name of God. He's not encouraging them to do that. He's not legitimising that. And that's what the people want. But they want Barabbas because he gives them what they want. So they say, yeah, kill him. And I think the difficult thing about this passage for us is that we can, I, I think, and I think this about myself, is often imagined somehow that like I'm not like that. Like I'm not like those people who will kill Jesus because it's not what they want. Like I want to know Jesus as Jesus really is. I want to know God as God really is. But I think that there can be in each of us a temptation to reject God because God isn't how we want God to be. And we think God is like can be like an is like an object that we can change and turn and move in the ways that we think are most profitable to us. And this is the very definition of idolatry, isn't it? To try to make God in our own image. And where we can't make God how we want God to be, we choose to reject God. And this is what I think we see, is God makes God's self known to us by taking on flesh and living among us. So we can look in God's eyes and see God's face. But God isn't what we want. God doesn't do what we want. And so we choose to kill God. And this might feel a long way away from you, from me. We imagine if we met Jesus, we'd think it's so cool. We'd be like, man, I want to hang out with you. Let's go get some food. Let's chill. Let's hang out. But I think in our own spiritual lives, we can be similar. We want the, the people, the person, the thing that gives us what we want and when God doesn't do it we are like you know what we're done and so this is the this is this is the hard this is a solemn week it's a week for deep reflection on the nature of our spirituality the nature of the nature of our lives and I say this to us because we are the kinds of people who really do wrestle and so in our wrestling, we have to always be aware of that temptation that even with the best intentions, we can end up in a place where we're cheering to have God killed because God isn't giving us what we want. And we have to be mindful that this can be, this is a temptation that all of us face. It's not a temptation of just the people who we, who raised us or the people who we think are conservative or liberal or wherever, or, you know what I mean? It's, it can, it's, a, it's a temptation for all of us. So what do we do with this week? I'm going to be at church a couple of times. I think Thursday I'll go, Friday I'll go, and Sunday I'll go. Just to sit and reflect, to process this, to process all the, all the feelings that come up in my heart when I think about this week, all of the thoughts I have about my own spiritual life, my own life in God. I want to process all of that. I want to think about the, my relationships. I want, to, I want to think, who am I betraying anyone? I'll be reflecting on my own capacity to, to do wrong. The easy thing I think is to use this week and be like, man, I would never do that, Jesus. Come like Peter, I'd never deny you, man. I'd never, I'd never, ever, ever 
deny you if Peter who walked on the ground with Jesus can turn around and be like yo bro I never knew him imagine how much more it's possible for us to do he would never seen his face do you know what I mean? Like I don't I do not underestimate my capacity to betray Jesus. Like I don't I don't underestimate it. Like I'm not I'm not deluded about the fickleness of my faith. The faith I have is only God's grace. If it was down to me, I'd be different I would be fickle. I'd be like, you know what, Jesus, it might be me, you know. When Jesus said somebody one of you's gonna betray him, I might be like, you know what, Jesus, I'm just gonna put it out there, it might be me. <laughs> I will be honest, it might be me. I don't want it, I don't want it to be me, but they might catch me on a bad day. And it might be me. That's me being completely honest. Peter's bold. Like, no way, Jose, am I going to betray you, Jesus. Like, it's not going to happen. And he's the one. Do you know what I mean? It's the time to reflect on that. Like, how am I overestimating my faith level of faithfulness here? Like, because I ain't really been tested. You know them ones where you're like, I'm looking at these people thinking that you're like lukewarm. You're not serious. You're not questioning everything. And I ain't been through nothing. I haven't really had my faith tested. I'm a Christian, yeah, but my life's been cool. I ain't had no major tragedies. I ain't lived through no traumas. Everything's been generally blessed. Might have a couple of things annoying me, but I haven't had nothing major happen that's made me re reimagine everything. And you're thinking, yeah, man, I'd never betray you. Listen, <laughs> I'm not gonna, be, I'm not gonna say you would, but until you, until you've been through Good Friday, you don't know for sure. Do you know what I mean? Until you've been through Good Friday, you don't know for sure. So just take your time in it. But it's a time to reflect. And to reflect on the fact that even if you say, you know what, Jesus, it could be me, that there isn't there isn't hate and anger and judgment by God, you know? Jesus is like, you know what, Peter? You're saying to me you're not gonna betray me, but you're gonna betray me three times before the cock crawls tonight, bro. So just relax. <laughs> he was just saying it as a matter of fact. You know, I'm not vexed with you, Peter. I'm not gonna kick you out of the house now, Peter. I'm just letting you know that I know. I'm going to let you know that you, in your heart, you think you're really faithful and you'd never betray me, but you're going to do it tonight and it's not going to take that much either. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just want you to know that I know and I'm not vexed. But this is the kind of mercy of God that we're dealing with, right? We see, we're seen as we really are and there's no condemnation and judgment. God, Jesus isn't trying to catch him out to shame him. He doesn't name Judas in the room or expose Peter before everyone and make him feel shame. He's just like, bro, I know it's going to be you before the cock crawls, you know, like, that's, it's just, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. And this is the mercy of God that we're dealing with. And we see how this plays out after the fact. So I think we can reflect with Peter on where we lack courage in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others, in our, in our existence in the world. Where are we not living fully into who we can be? Where are we... Where are we not showing our best brave selves? Where are we giving up everything we believe because it's easy, like Peter did, to just be like, man, yeah. I didn't know him. You know what I mean? When, where, where are we lacking in faithfulness? That's one thing. We could also think with the soldiers who come to collect Jesus from the garden. These are people who are just doing their job in it. Like they've been told, go to the garden and get that Jesus guy because his time's up. And they go and they do it, right? But... Their actions remind me, and the whole system that they represent reminds me that we live in a world in which we like so often to kill what we don't understand. Jesus is the, is the epitome of this, right? He is God and human together, something we cannot get our head around. And he's exhibiting this all the time, and the religious leaders want to kill him because they don't understand what he's trying to embody. 
They don't under, they don't welcome what they don't understand. They're afraid of it. And so they try and kill it, right? If there's anything more... I'm telling you this week teaches about humanity. How often do we, in the world, hate what we do not understand? How often do we want to kill the people we don't understand? This is, right, the basis of racism. The idea that we don't understand why we, I'm talking about white Europeans, don't understand African, Asian, Latin American, indigenous peoples. So we're going to oppress and dehumanise them. We're not going to celebrate the difference that they bring into the world. We're going to kill it. This is a, it's a basis of racism. I'm not going to celebrate people who are different to me in terms of their sexuality or their gender or the way that they move through the world or the differences of their culture or anything. I'm just going to oppress what I don't understand. I'm going to kill what I don't understand. And this for me is like is what this, this leads me to reflect on anyway, like the tendencies that we have to kill what we do not understand. When we kill, uh, we try to end and oppress what we don't get, what isn't like us, what we don't understand, rather than engaging with curiosity, we're actually doing a harm to ourselves. And so Holy Week can give us a lot of food for thought, and I don't know what you're planning on doing this week. If it is something that you're going to engage with, then send me a note and let me know how it's going. You might want to reflect, you might want to read something, you might want to go to a church at some point this week and just take your journal and do some writing or reflecting on some of these things. But I think that even if you're not somebody who's like in it, and by in it I mean Christianity, church, etc. These kinds of questions might actually be helpful and um, might lead you to some good reflection on your own life at the moment. And, and it's good to sit in the discomfort of this week. I definitely think that we rush through this week so quickly in some churches and there's a lot of richness in this week for our spiritual lives. So sit with the discomfort, sit sit with the uncomfortable feeling this week, sit with the sadness, sit with the grief, sit with the frustration with yourself, sit with the frustration you have with others this week, sit with the feeling that it shouldn't be like this, sit with the feeling that, oh Jesus man, you shouldn't have had to die like this. Sit with that feeling of Judas, man, you really messed up. Sit with the feeling of, wow, Peter, really? <laughs> Sit with it all. Sit with the drama of Jesus' last week before his death and see what it stirs up in you. See how it speaks to you this year. And if you feel like it, journal, reflect, send me something if you like. Thank you for listening and I hope that you have a good week whatever you do or don't do, and that you get space to process. And also make sure you get that bun, you know, and get that bullet cake and season that fish on Thursday as well. Just get it in, you know what I mean? That's what we're here for. I mean, not just that, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean. That, that food matters. It really matters. Love you all. Have a great week, and I'll record again for you very soon. <laughs>